We're going to talk about impact this morning. You know, the weather, the winter weather has had an impact on our country, uh, especially in the last seven days. From, from last Friday to Monday, in America alone, 6,100 flights were canceled. Now, that may not have bothered you at all, but I want to tell you, if you were sitting in an airport and your flight was canceled, that impacted your life in a dramatic way. They've said about 14 or 15 people in our country died uh, in the last week because of the weather. It's probably more than that. It's just kind of a hard thing to, to measure and get your hands around. Last Friday in Dallas-Fort Worth alone, 270,000 people lost power. I mean, that's Rustin times 10 losing power. The weather has impacted us in the name of global warming, hasn't it? It's uh, it's, uh, it's hit us hard. Well, this morning in Luke chapter 2, we're going to talk about impact. Thank goodness not from a storm, but we're going to talk about you and I and the impact that God wants to make through your life. I want to give you four truths real quick. We're going to talk about the last one this morning. But these are life-changing truths. No matter who you are this morning, God loves you. God loves you unconditionally, if you'll get a hold to that, that God loves you no matter who you are this morning. Secondly, God wants to save you. God wants to come into your life, to come into your heart, and to save you from a wasted life here and to save you eternally for heaven. God wants to save you. Thirdly, God wants you to live for him fully. God wants your life completely. And lastly, our big point this morning is God wants to take your life and he wants to make a big splash for him. God has left you here not to just soak up sunshine and oxygen. God has left you here to be an impact player for him. That ought to excite you and ought to get you fired up because it is a great truth. In Luke chapter 2, the shepherds are our heroes this morning. And let's just begin in verse 8 and kind of work our way through this background to see what's going on. It begins, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, Bethlehem, which we're going to see in a moment, is about five or six miles from Jerusalem. This shepherd's field, uh, when Cindy and I, a few weeks ago, they pointed out where they thought the shepherd's field was. It's about three-fourths of a mile from Bethlehem. Uh, It's downhill, by the way, so they had to run uphill to get to Bethlehem, which wouldn't have been good. Uh, but it, it's, it's nearby vicinity of both of these areas. And some scholars believe maybe that the, the flock that these shepherds watched were the ones used uh, for sacrifices in the temple. We don't know that. Probably no way we'll ever know that. But that is an interesting fact. Now, these guys lived out in the fields. They, you kind of think of them as, as, as uh, people who worked offshore or who would go work on an oil rig for a couple of weeks. So they're camping out in the field. And in verse 9 it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I had a, a lady uh, at the end of the service, uh, first service, tell me, I don't know why those guys were terrified. Listen, if I was camping out and an angel showed up, I'd be horrified, wouldn't you? I mean, if, if you hadn't been drinking and something like that happens, it's really weird, right? You know, if you're drinking, you can blow it off or explain it away. And, and it says that they're out there and, and the, the glory of God shows up 
in their presence. I mean, it had to be just an unbelievable, unbelievable sight. And here's what the angel said. He said, don't be afraid, easy for the angel to say. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, this is almost understated here. Here's what the angel was saying. He says, he was saying, basically, I'm evangelizing you. I'm bringing you news that is unbelievable. I'm, believe, I'm, I'm bringing you super news that is, that is so joyous and so wonderful. It has the potential to change your life and everybody's life because it's for all the people. And he says in verse 11, today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem. Bethlehem then is just a little village, about 1,000 people. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The Jewish people were looking for a Savior. They were looking for someone to deliver them politically like we are. You know, if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, you're always looking for the next person to bring your party to power and raise it up. They were looking for a political leader. But listen, here's what God brought. God brought a Savior for them and for us to deliver them from a wasted life, from unhappiness, ineffectiveness, and to give them a home in heaven someday. He's brought you a Savior. He is Christ. Now, Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. The Jews have been looking for the Messiah for the Christ for many, many years. The Christ means the anointed one of God, the, the Savior, the anointed one of God has been born. He is Lord. Now, that word Lord to a Jewish person 2,000 years ago would have been hugely significant. It, it, in Jesus' day, he probably read what was called the Septuagint. That was the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible. And that, that word Lord was often used to refer to God the Father. It was the word kuros. Lord, and here they're saying basically God in the flesh has been born. Well, that's pretty significant, isn't it? Look in verse 12 with me. Verse 12 says, this will be a sign. You're going to find this baby wrapped in clothes. No, that's just saying that there was a particular way they wrapped babies back then, and you're going to find him wrapped up like you wrap up babies. Now, this is interesting, lying in a manger. How many of you know what a manger really is? A manger is a cattle trough. How many of you ever seen a cattle trough? How many of you think that someone should be sent to prison if they put their baby in one of those today? Sure they would be. But, and you know, away in a cattle trough, no crib for his bed doesn't sing as good, does it? Away in a manger sounds better. But I'm certain that this was a cleaned out nice place. But it's interesting. They've just said the Savior, the Lord, God has been born. And you're going to find, find him laying in a, in a cattle trough. In verse 13, it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with this angel, praising God. Thousands of angels, literally an army of angels show up in the sky. And in verse 14, they say, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Here's a better way of understanding that peace is going to be with people who are right with God. And in verse 15 through 20, we begin to see the impact these guys made. They left them. The angels did. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see what has happened, what the Lord has told us. They hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And in verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for they, 
For all the things they had heard and seen were just as they had been told. Let me just tell you this. It's always going to be just as God said. It may not show up tonight. It may not show up tomorrow. But in the end, it's always going to be as God has said. Now, let's look at the impact these guys have. And there's some things that they did that was crucial for them having impact. Let me say again. God has left you here to be an impact player for him. God's not left you here to be on the bench. God's not left you here to say, when I get older, I'll start doing something. God has not left you here to say, I've done it in the past. It's someone else's opportunity. God is saying, I want you to be an impact player here. How do you become an impact player for God? Two fundamental things. Number one is obedience. Obedience. Verse 15 and 16. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's form a committee. Let's discuss this for six months. Let's debate who has the best idea. And then then we will develop a Bible study and we will study this and then we will see what we should do in the next three years. No, it says they, they got up and they went to Bethlehem. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger that hurried means with urgency. When they understood what God wanted them to do, they didn't debate it. They didn't discuss it. They didn't cuss it. They didn't talk to a thousand other people. They acted on it. Someone has said the first Christmas rush did not happen at Target or Dillard's on Black Friday. It happened when the shepherds were told that the Messiah had been, was born and they were to get to him. And they got up and they went to him. It's interesting. It says they found him after a search. It implies that their obedience to God, everything just didn't happen easy, smooth, smooth, smooth. Bethlehem was a small village of about a thousand, but still finding where a baby had been born at night couldn't have been easy. But here's the fundamental principle. If you want God to use you, you've got to obey God. You've got to put yourself in a position to live and do as God would have you to do. There's no shortcuts to this. Now, listen, as we look at this this morning, some of us are going to say, you know, God's never used me. It's going to be a warning sign. Some of us here, some of us are looking back at our trophies of what God's done in our life, how we've made a difference, how we've served, how we've done this. Listen, it's great to have the trophy, but somebody who's serving God should be gathered new trophies every day. Are you obeying God? If you're not obeying God, he can't use you like he wants to. Let's look at some steps to obedience. Number one is salvation. What I mean by that is if you expect God to use you, you have to have a relationship with him. The first act of obedience is that you bow your knee and your heart to Christ. Some of you say this morning, God's never used me. It's very possible that you don't know him as your Savior. You've never obeyed him unto eternal life. Secondly, it's the day in and day out. It's daily living for Christ. Daily living for Christ. You, here's the problem with many of us in this room, and I'm one of you, so I'm using us. We're doing God on our own terms. We have created God in our own image. We obey God how we want to obey God. And if we don't like how we should obey God, we adjust the Scripture, we justify, we change things, we say, oh, that doesn't apply anymore, or I'm above that, or whatever. And listen, that's why God's not using us anymore. 
Some of us can say, God's used me in the past. I've made a difference. I've won people to Christ. I've brought them to church. I've helped them. I've counseled them. I've helped them grow. But it's not happening anymore. It's an obedience issue. God's not asking for perfection. God's asking for a commitment that says, day in and day out, I'm going to live for him. Here's the third thing in our decisions. Some of us today are making choices that's going to limit God's ability to use us. You're single and you're dating somebody you shouldn't be dating and you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, okay? Don't expect God to use you like he wants to. You're a married man and you're having a relationship with a woman that's not your wife or you're a married woman and you're having a relationship with someone who's not your husband. You say, oh, we're not having sex. You may be pushing the envelope towards that. God's not going to use you. You cheat people in your business. You're gossip. You're lazy after God. If we want God to use us, it's not rocket science. It's just hard. We've got to obey God. I love what Andy Stanley said. Andy Stanley is a great preacher and a great writer. Here's what Andy Stanley said. God promises no blessings or no usage of our lives just by the knowledge we accumulate. I'm quoting Andy. Andy said, in America, we live in a Christian culture that is consumed with gathering knowledge and knowledge and knowledge and knowledge. We can debate, we can argue, and we can show off how much we know. But Andy said, God uses people who obey him. Can I get an amen? amen. James one twenty-two. listen to what it says. James one twenty-two. it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Trust me, that's what it says. If you don't trust me, that's cool too. Look it up when you get home, James 1.22. Don't merely listen, but act on it. I want to step out. How many of you want God to use you? How many of you someday want to stand before God in heaven and hear that your life mattered? If so, you've got to obey God. You've got to live a life of obedience. Here's the second word, and that's the word encounter. That's the word encounter. The shepherds not only obeyed God, but they had an encounter with God. Verse 16 and 17, they hurried off. They were urgent, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. The key word there is seen. The word seen doesn't mean just to, uh, just to make eye contact with or just to see something. It literally means to perceive it and understand and be impacted upon it. Here's the difference. I've studied grief. I'm a pastor. I've taken psychology classes. I've taken pastoral counseling classes. I've studied and read books on grief. It's not the same studying grief as it is experiencing grief. I've done a lot of funerals. I've studied about death. It's different not only when I've done a funeral, but when I've had to sit at a funeral of someone I love dearly. You follow me? Here's what happened to the shepherds. They didn't just have a mental connection with Christ. They had an encounter with Christ. They had an encounter with Christ that changed their life 
And when that happened, they went out and began to impact their world. You see, if you and I are going to be impactors for Christ at the junior high school, at the high school, at the college, in our families, in, in our world, we've got to have encounters with Christ. Let me give you a couple of these encounter points. Again, let's go back to salvation. Here's a reason, here's a reason that some people never do much for Christ. They've never truly been born again. In Jesus' day, if you were going to testify in court, you could not testify on hearsay. You could not testify on a carried experience. You couldn't sit in the witness stand and say, I heard this, I've been told this, I thought this, whatever. You could only witness based on your personal story, your personal experience. That the shepherds, listen, what happened to the shepherds, they weren't talking about something they heard in a moment. They were talking about something they experienced. Have you ever had an encounter with Jesus Christ? John 8, 47 is a very scary verse. Listen to what it says. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you don't belong to God. Some of you are saying, I've never heard from God. I've never got direction from God. The problem is you've never been born again. You need that first encounter with Christ. That's fundamental. But it doesn't stop there. That's just the starting point. Again, you need to encounter him living for him day in and day out. That's the second thing. As you live for him day in and day out. We're not talking about feeling here. We're talking about as you live for Christ, as a Christian, you have encounters with him. Here's the third thing, your Bible study and prayer time. Listen, if you were a Christian, I don't care if you became a Christian a week ago, you need to get in the habit of praying daily and reading your Bible. Everybody says, I want a word from God. Read your Bible. It is God's word. It's God's word speaking to us. There's a, there's a crazy story in Exodus chapter 34, way over in the Old Testament. Moses had been with God. He had been with God for an extended period of time. And when Moses came down the mountain, the Bible said his face was literally glowing. His face was glowing. Moses didn't know his face was glowing, but everybody else did. Because he'd been in the presence of God, he was impacting people for God. You want to have an impact for people, you need to get in the presence of God. And, and, and the last thing is just your church experience. You know, you come to church for a thousand reasons. I don't know why you came today. I'm just glad you're here. But I hope many of you came saying this, I want to have an encounter with God. You say, well, I can't have an encounter with God at this church. Well, I don't know what to tell you. If you're not careful, no church you go to, you're going to be able to have an encounter with God. That's more of a heart thing than it is anything else. Certainly, we need to do our very best to present it, but you've got to make a choice that you want to experience God. And, folks, I want to tell you, when you and I encounter God, it changes our life. Someone says, I was a no one who encountered someone, and it made me become a someone. You can't bump into Jesus without it impacting you. John 15, 5 is a great verse. Listen to what it says. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If a man or a woman remains in me and I in him, they will bear much fruit. Listen to this last part. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, folks, when, when, you, when you are obeying Christ and you are encountering Christ, let me give you the, 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 the next word. This is what happens. It's the word impact. It's the word impact. You say, I want to make a difference for God. I want my life to matter. When you put yourself in the position of obedience and encountering God on a regular basis, you will be a person who impacts people for God. And folks, you, you are not meant to be a holding tank. You are me- meant to be a channel. Holding tanks are swamps. A lot of churches are swamps. A lot of Christians are swamps. We just gather it and hold it in. We are meant to be rivers, to take it in and to let it flow out of us. We are meant to be difference makers for God. We are meant to be people who impact our world for Jesus Christ. Let's look again in our story in verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they'd been told. When it says spread the word, they just made known everything they knew about Jesus, which wasn't very much except they had encountered him and it had affected their lives. And in verse 18, it says, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. That word amazed means they marveled, they admired. In verse 19, Mary treasured these things in her heart and pondered them. The shepherds had an impact on people immediately. Now, let me give you a little background on the shepherds. The shepherds almost certainly were lower social economic people. They didn't make much money. They were considered kind of uh, lower blue-collar type workers. If they were Jewish people, they were kind of considered outcasts to their religion because they stayed out in the fields for weeks at a time. They couldn't get in and do all the Jewish ceremonial hand washings, and they couldn't be at the temple regularly. So some of them, many of them, were under what was called the rabbinical ban. In other words, if they came to the synagogue or the temple, they had to sit in the back and be quiet. They could not participate. Shepherds in Jesus' day had such a low reputation that they were not allowed to testify in court. Can you imagine? Because they were, they were considered by their very nature to be thieves. They walked from field to field and they picked up tools and they just kept what wasn't theirs. But yet the first message of the birth of Jesus did not come to the temple. It didn't go to the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the priests. It went to the shepherds, the first evangelists, the first people that went out and made a splash for Jesus Christ were the shepherds. So I tell you this morning, if they can do it, so can you. How do you make an impact? There's a, there's a thousand ways. Love people. You, you meet needs. But I want to share with you the one specific thing they did to hear in this story. They spread the news about Jesus. They spread the news about Jesus. What kind of world did they live in? What kind of world was Jesus born into? A bad world. Taxes were high. Morals were low. Unemployment was high. Sound familiar? It was a military state. Israel's a military state today, but then it, today it's their own soldiers. Then it was the enemy soldiers, the Romans. They were under what was called the Pax Romana. The, the Roman emperor had declared peace. That means Roman peace and that there would be no war at land and sea. 
And there wasn't any fighting, but one of their own philosophers said, the king can declare there will be no war, but he can't give us peace in our mind and heart. And in the middle of that world, in verse 11, it says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. And in verse 14, it says this, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Man, when those shepherds obeyed Christ and encountered Christ, they went out and immediately began to tell people about Jesus. Some of you say today, I don't know what to say. I wouldn't know how to talk to people about Jesus. You just put yourself in the position and ask God to start talking to you and let your mouth start running. You'll be amazed. Folks, people need Jesus. Christian people need Jesus. They've gotten away from God, and their marriages are falling apart. Their lives are falling apart. And they need somebody, maybe you, to care enough to talk to them and to repoint them back to church and to Jesus Christ. And you know people who are not Christians. And you've got the message of heaven and hell. You've got the the, the message of forgiveness and a better life. And many of us just sit on it. I read a statistic that said half Christians interviewed in this one poll, half of them said the job of sharing Jesus was not theirs. Whose is it? How creepy. You know where where your family and friends can find millions of dollars in safety, but it isn't your job to tell them? You're a criminal. You know how to tell them to find forgiveness and a better life in heaven, but you don't care to tell them? Something's wrong. You see, part of the impact is just a natural overflow. That's part of our problem. Then the other part is just getting motivated. I want to motivate you. You know, we talk about what we love, don't we? I talk about football. I talk about ice cream. I talk about my dogs. I talk about my family. Hopefully not in that order. Why don't we talk about Jesus? Think about that. Mom and Dad, let me throw this at you. If you have taught your kids how to be good students, that's awesome. If you've taught them how to play baseball, football, basketball, that's awesome. You taught them how to make money and to take care of money, that's awesome. Are your kids going to heaven? You know what? I think I'd go home today and I'd sit my kids down and I would talk to them about that. You may not have the opportunity to tomorrow. Well, they don't live here. You have a phone or you can use a church phone. We'll pay for the long distance if you're worried about that. I think I'd call them today and say, you know what? I'm concerned about your eternity. What an impact you and I can make by helping people find Jesus Christ. If we're willing to encounter and obey and just open our mouths and point people to the one who can do the rest. God left you here to be an impact player. Will we be that kind of person? It's our choice. Let's pray.
This morning, if you're a Christian, I just hope you'll examine very hard, very deeply your obedience, your, your, your relationship with Christ, and make the right choices this morning. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. And Jesus, today, I give you my life. Today, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand and in a second, and we're going to sing, but more importantly, I want to challenge you to respond to Christ, to respond to His call in your life. Maybe you just pray and ask Jesus into your heart. When we stand, would you come and talk to one of our ministers? Maybe you didn't do that, but you're ready to. Come, let's deal with that issue this morning. You'd like to join the church today. One way you can do that when we stand is just step out and come. We'll be waiting on you. We can help you with that decision. Every Christian here, every Christian here, whether it's where you're standing or at the altar or praying with a minister, make a decision that your life is going to matter, that you're going to be an impactor for Christ, and it is your decision. Let's stand as God leads us. Let's respond to Him.